All right, hello and welcome to another episode of the Give Us a Spell podcast. My name is Zach. Uh, doing a bit of a spare of the moment little uh, episode today. Quick interview with uh, Paul Joyce. Uh, he was uh, one of my original guests on the show far out, maybe a year and a bit ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, a fair bit has changed since then with Paul. He's moved to Queensland and taken up a new gig, moved the family up there. So we're going to cover uh, everything that's sort of happening with him and that sort of gear and how 2021 went on the punt for him. And we'll probably touch base on a few things that we mentioned in that podcast last time. Uh, quite a few different and extra listeners now uh, since we did that. But yeah, Paul, if anyone doesn't know, he uh, has been in the game for a very long time. He been at Sky for quite some time now, but he recently packed up, took the family, moved to Broadbeach up on the Goldie, and you know, everyone knows that follows Paul and follows him on Sky. He was a regular on Form 1 on a Thursday. He would be on track at Rose Hill and Ramwick on a Wednesday. He'd be doing all the Sydney Metro stuff uh, in Sydney, so it's a pretty solid move for him. And he's, he's been doing a couple of the provincial tracks up in Queensland with a new girl, Kian. So we're going to touch base, see how he's been going, see how, how the punt's been doing, if there's any difference in form up there for him. But uh, let's get him in. All right, Paul Joyce, welcome back to the show, my friend. Lovely to be back, Zach. Uh, I remember being on about 18 months ago, and yeah, I'm glad you've asked me back. Have to love you back, mate. Um, what's the story? Now you're a, you're a Queensland man, or hopefully you're still a Blues supporter and a proud New South Welshman. But uh, for anyone that doesn't know, you've moved north of the border. Yes, I have indeed. Uh, we came up just before Christmas. My family and I have moved to beautiful Broadbeach waters, and it is absolutely stunning up here. Uh, basically moved up for a lifestyle change, but also a bit of a new challenge. A uh, good opportunity came up for Sky to, to attack the Queensland form, uh, which is something I've always been interested in, getting out of my comfort zone there in Sydney. And it's certainly been an interesting switch over so far. The, the, the tips have actually been going really well. The punting's been going have, well. Yeah. Um, I'm just sort of waiting for that tap on the shoulder. You know, it's all too good to be true at the moment. Um, but at this stage, it's only a very small sample size, but going really well. So what was it, you had been thinking about moving to Queensland, I think in the past you mentioned you'd always thought about it. You weren't always going to lock in that job with Sky, though, were you? Sort of like landed at the right time? Yeah, exactly right. Uh, it was a sort of the last three or four years, my wife and I have been thinking about it. We've had the kids' names down at schools in case we ever got up here. And uh, I think after the second Sydney lockdown, you know, it was just one of those times where you think, are we ever going to do it? Let's do it now. So, well, we did. We came up and that's what we're doing. And Sky had a job landing ready for you. Yeah, they sure did. It was great. <laughs> um, sort of came up just at the right time and obviously had to go through a few hoops to get it. But... Um, yeah, we managed to, so that was good. Um, we're obviously in the middle of another COVID shit fight at the moment. Um, it's, it's bizarre that I haven't got it yet. Everyone around me seems to. What's it like up there with you and people around you? Yeah, well, I think on the Gold Coast, it's pretty rampant at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm just sort of avoiding anything super public that I don't have to do. Obviously, you've got work, you've got family, you've got things you do have to do, so life doesn't stop. But uh, by the same token, I won't be going to any massively crowded pubs just for the sake of it. I've spent plenty of time at pubs in my life, and right now I probably don't have to be there. 
What um what was the like the change over that first day on course doing a bit of Queensland form? What's the difference to doing that to compared to doing you know a, a Wednesday work farm? Because I remember your first day on the tip, you sort of got a couple, a, three or four in a row, right? Was that right? Yeah, it was a good first day, but um, look, I think the, I was just concerned. Probably, I, I don't have that knowledge of the form up here that I had in Sydney because I've probably done Sydney form for twenty five years, so you just know it back to front. Whereas up here, it was all fairly new. I'd probably done four months of sort of post-race data and analysis, keeping my own ratings, all that sort of business. So I had a decent handle on it all. But until you sort of get in and, and start doing your form, putting your tips out there and having a bet, you just don't know how it's going to go. Um, so I suppose that was my big concern. It still is a big concern, but so far so good. It's been a great start. And the processes are still the same as what you've always done. I mean, you do your speed maps, you rate your horses, you try and frame your market to the best of your ability and, and then you try and find where the value sits in the market. So it's all pretty similar, but you yeah, obviously just didn't have that that depth of knowledge that I've had in Sydney. So we'll see how that goes, but so far so good. You've had quite a lot of like similar, uh, like I guess, people that follow you for so many years, right? Loyal followers. Do you still do the Sydney form or are you going to continue to do it in the future and still put tips out there? Well, I won't be putting tips out there, that's for sure, because um, sort of as a bit of a bonus, I suppose, was after securing the gig up here in Queensland, uh, Tommy Berry approached me out of the blue, his manager, who I knew really well, used to play poker with his manager, actually. He was retiring after, I think, close to 20 years with Tommy, Um, and Tommy was after someone new, and he he asked if I'd be interested in doing it, and... uh, I sort of approached the stewards in Sydney just to sound them out about what the process was. And and they were fine for me to do it as long as I was only tipping in Queensland because obviously there's a conflict if you're tipping in races that Tommy rides in Sydney. So as a result of that, the decision was made pretty easy. Um, I'll stick to Queensland and I'll still watch the Sydney races and do the Sydney form as much as I have to for the gig with Tommy and managing his rides. Uh, but I won't be tipping, so um, and I won't be betting. So most of my focus is now in uh, in Queensland. We'll, we'll touch a bit, a bit more on that. So Tommy Barry, he's he's been on the show plenty of times on, on this, but what, he approached you out of it. Is it something you you thought ever thought of, or have you mentioned it to him? You've got obviously got a pretty good relationship with him. How did it all sort of come about? No, well, it wasn't on my radar at all. I can tell you that much. But um, obviously, I had managed jockeys six, seven years ago. Yeah. Um, had had to give that up when I sort of went full time into media. Um, and then yeah, Tommy just rang me out of the blue one day, and the first thing I said to him was, you know, what's Jeff up to? And he said, Oh, Jeff's retiring. I'm looking for a new manager. Would you be interested? And we sort of had a few conversations after that, and then the decision was made. We'll have a go at it. We'll just have to see what hoops we've got to jump through. And uh, obviously started with the stewards and then had to go through Sky as well to get permission from Sky. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit of a process, but we got it, got there in the end and we're off and running. Are you pumped for it? It's, it's a fair bit of work, a jockey manager. Yeah, well, I've done it before, so I know, I know what you're in for. Like your phone's on seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You, you don't want to miss that one phone call that could be a group one ride. Uh, but also, because I've done it before, I think I've slipped pretty quickly back into the organisation and the routine of it, and you've just got to stay organised. That's the key. Uh, obviously, knowing the form helps, and I've already got the relationships with most of those Sydney stables. So it's been pretty streamlined. I think Jeff, who was doing it, had done such a fantastic job as well. So I followed a lot of his processes, and 
I think it's made it a fairly easy start, although there have been a few hiccups. Obviously, uh, Tommy getting sick straight away wasn't part of the plan. So <laughs> yeah. we've had to miss, miss that early start to the year. But um, he's pumped to come back and he'll come back just in time for Magic Millions Day. So it could be a big one. So the plan is for him to come up north this weekend? That's the plan. Uh, after speaking to him today, uh, what are we, Monday, he had a negative, a negative test, rapid antigen test today. So... He's feeling good, and uh, provided he's seven days out and he's yeah. not feeling any symptoms, he should be right to get up here. Sweet. Oh, that's going to be pretty exciting here, getting back in the back in the saddle. It's a pretty good jock to have. Um, the whole moving to Queensland sounds like paradise to some, and I remember looking a couple of weeks ago. I was wondering, like, fuck, I swear Joyce is supposed to be working sunny coast today, but was there <laughs> a um? What happened? Why couldn't you work a Sunday a couple of weeks ago? Oh, yeah, no, that was another great start to the Queensland adventure. Um, how many days? We weren't even into it more than about two weeks, I don't think. Uh, 27th of December and um, Merry early Christmas. morning early morning coffees. Yeah, grabbed a couple of coffees from the coffee shop about 6.30, 200 metres from the house, coming around the corner home. And uh, one of the neighbours who I'd seen on Christmas Day, the big German shepherd, uh, the German shepherd got loose, unmuzzled, and I was the unlucky person walking past. So he came up and had a couple of decent goes at me and took a bit of chunk out of one side, a nice chunk above the knee, and um, I was off to the doctors to get stitched up and had to miss the day at the races. But um, the recovery's been good for me, not so good for the dog. I think you downplayed that a bit. So tell me what that's... Because I know that my mum, for instance, she had a massive German Shepherd dog attack back in... back. She had like 100 stitches in her face. She got drilled when she was young. So when you said German Shepherd, I'm like, fire, I've heard stories. Were you shitting yourself? Like, you know, I know you're a very agile man. Did you try and <laughs> sidestep it or fucking put the boot in? or hold? You're holding hot coffees as well. I was, yeah. No, I didn't want to spill the coffees. It's funny what you think of, but I, I actually didn't think anything of it at the time. I just thought he was coming up to have a sniff or say hello. I didn't think he was coming to have a bite, that's for sure. So uh, by the time he bit me the first time and then whipped around and got hold just above my knee and sort of had a decent dig. Um, it all happened too quickly. And, um, you know, by the time the owners came out and sort of got the hold of the dog and the dog bit them and they dragged the dog inside. But, you know, he just snapped that dog and he was a beautiful big dog, but he was unsafe and uh, they, they they decided to put the dog down. So I think they made the right decision. And I was lucky because I'm six foot two. If it was a kid that was walking past at that time, it would have been a lot worse. Sort of mean, like your kids are what, four or five or something, aren't they? Imagine if they were walking down with you. Yeah, well, there's a lot of kids in the street. There's a lot of old people in the street. And, you know, this dog generally was looked after. Obviously, they muzzled him and they kept him on a lead. But this particular occasion, he was jumping out of the back of the car unmuzzled and that's what he did. So he was unprovoked and he, he crossed, crossed the road to have a go at me. So, Fuck. you know, any, anyone walking past at that time uh, would have been fair game. So I'll, I just felt lucky that it was me because he didn't do that much damage to me at the end of the day. Um, and anyone else it probably would have been a lot worse. But, you know, I felt sorry for the dog and the owner as well. You know, the last thing you want to do is, you know, and I lose the dog that they loved. And I knew this bloke loved his dog because I saw him with him on Christmas Day sitting across in the park. But, yeah, you know, at, at the end of the day, it was just not safe. Welcome to Queensland, mate. Yeah, it was a good welcome to Queensland, that's for sure. It wasn't what I expected and never been attacked by a dog before. So um, certainly uh, it, was a, it was a big surprise, mate, but not a good one. But, uh, yeah, mate, it happens. Stuff like that can happen any time and certainly a lot of other people have had it worse. So I was looking on the bright side. 
Um, let's go back to last year. How do we go on the punt wise? So I know we've talked in the past, and you're quite a disciplined punter. Um, you're not much of a degenerate like uh, like <laughs> I can be sometimes. But um, yep. how 2021 go punt wise? Did you get do well? Did you profit? Big wins or anything? Yeah, 2021 was really good actually. Um, I think it probably probably the difference this year was I generally take it really easy through that win- those winter months. They're always my worst months. But this particular year, for whatever reason, things went really well through winter. Wasn't betting a lot, but when I was, it seemed to be hitting the mark. And then obviously had a really good spring. And then probably by the that late summer, I always ease off a little bit anyway. But this year, I really sort of took the foot off the pedal from about November. Uh, once we knew we were coming up and uh, was really getting organised and, you know, still had to do what I had to do work-wise and, and still had a few bets here and there, but certainly put the queue in the rack, so to speak, and just locked up the profit for the year. And um, as far as this year goes, it's a totally different scenario, betting on Queensland racing. So I've been taking it fairly small, fairly baby steps, but uh, certainly going well so far. So we'll see if that can continue. Anything uh, stick in your mind from 2021? Any good wins or favourite races? Um, probably nothing that really jumps out at me this year. It was just one of those sort of consistent years. Um, I know once we got into the spring, you know, you try and find those big race winners and I probably didn't get them this year. I know Mars Crusader was a big result in the Everest and he came up a nose short. Um, he run the race five times again. He might've won it, but it wasn't to be. And, uh, other races you look for like the Melbourne cups, your Fox plates, there was nothing really massive there either. So it wasn't one of those years where you had a massive big win. It was just more chipping away, probably at the midweeks, the odd value winner on a Saturday and the odd little quaddy here and there. Were, were you, were you, did you tip Mars Crusader, did you? Yeah, I was very keen on Mars Crusader this year. I just thought he'd get the race run to suit. He was ready to peak on the day. And look, he did. Everything worked out, but he just came up a nose short. Up against a pretty good horse, eh? Um, yeah, I think my nature strip deserved the win. I know that you know the race probably was run to suit him a little bit better than Mask Crusader, but you know, he makes his own luck, whereas Mask Crusader doesn't. So that's why you're getting ten dollars one and sort of three dollars the other. And as you know, I generally go with the one that's better odds. Exactly. Um, Mask Crusader's already locked in for the Everest, isn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's going back next year. Yeah. Um, obviously, they've got to. I don't know if they're going to iron out his start or not. I reckon he almost races better when he misses the kick. Whenever he jumps and puts himself up there, he seems to do a bit keenly and not finish off. So it'll be that delicate balance of you don't want to give away three lengths if you don't have to, but I don't think you want to fire him out of the gates either. Um, Do you still have a love, I guess, for punting in general and racing compared to what you've been doing something for so long? Do you still find a love for it every spring that comes around, every autumn comes around? Absolutely. Oh, for sure. I mean, I've been loving going to the Sunshine Coast on a Sunday and having a bet. You know, I've loved going to Ipswich on a Wednesday and having a bet because you do the form, you put the time in, you think you've found something, you've got an edge. I mean, you can't wait to go and see if it works out or not. And that's sort of what excites me about going to the races is, is putting that effort in with your form so that you know that what you've got in front of you might give you that edge and you go out and see how it goes and you, you get a result in real time. You don't have to wait, wait long to see how, how you went. You either get it right or you get it wrong and, and when I get it right you're obviously happy and when I get it wrong I come home and try and work out where I went wrong and generally it, it, you can find out where you did go wrong sometimes you're a bit unlucky sometimes you might cop a bad ride but most of the time I think you've just got to be up front with yourself be realistic and say you know what I got that wrong I got the speed map wrong I overrated that horse's last win whatever you did 
generally it's yourself that gets it wrong, not so much the jockeys. I think a lot of people blame the jockeys or the ride or the track or the bias, but most of the time you've just got it wrong yourself. So your advice is to just have a long, hard look at yourself? <laughs> My advice is keep, keep records and that way you'll go back and you'll find the patterns. You'll find that you're losing on certain tracks or certain types of ground or certain distance races. You'll find out very quickly in six to 12 months where you're losing and you'll find out where you're winning. You'll find out which jockeys seem to have a good strike rate with you, which trainers you have a good strike rate with. And, uh, and, and, you know, things like that, like distances, you might find between 1200 and 1600, you have amazing success yeah. and you might have amazing success on good tracks, but then you lose when you're betting on wet tracks. You'll find all that out. If you just keep your, keep your bets for six to 12 months, go through them and, you'll see where the patterns jump off the page at you. It's the first time I actually did keep a record. I think I did it from maybe the beginning of spring. I never normally did it. And I remember because I would always talk to you and I find that you, I don't know if you think so, but you and Brad Gray sort of approach it pretty similar. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you find that you got you guys do things similar? Yeah, I think we do. Um, I'm not sure how, how in-depth he goes with rating figures and that sort of stuff, but definitely the, the overall philosophy is the same. I think he's come through the same sort of background and schooling that I came through and I know he's very disciplined and, and really does keep a track of all his bets. He, he doesn't bet more than he needs to and I think the key with both of us is we, we really try and bet heavily when we think we've got an edge Yeah. and obviously that way when you get it right you're having a decent result and when you are getting it wrong you're not losing too much and you can generally work out why you went wrong and then try and improve from there. So I think you've got a fair bit of upside, and the way Brad and I bet is definitely sort of limits the downside. So you don't seem to have any massive downswings. Obviously, you have little runs where things aren't going well, but that's soon offset when you have a good day or a good week and, and you sort of blast back into the black. So I think that works. Yeah, I remember. I remember asking him actually about you know I did the whole. Were you ever degenerate? Like we and he goes, of course I was a degenerate. He said he, I think he had a story that when he was young he used to just literally walk up to the tabby, the first one there on a Saturday, and start betting on overseas things and trots and whatever. And then one day he just went fuck this, and literally just started taking it serious, doing form, tracking, and everything. And it hasn't really looked back. So it's probably um a good thing to people to start doing. Yeah, I think I think you're best to be a degenerate as early as you can. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I think my degenerate days were probably from 16 through to about 18. And at the time, like you could lose everything you had, but you didn't have much, yeah. so it didn't matter. Whereas I think people that start betting in their late 20s or 30s, I mean, by that stage, you haven't had that chance to lose everything, and you, and you can't afford to lose everything by that stage of your life. Whereas I remember at 18, I lost everything at the casino on a Friday night and I had a good bet on Saturday, but I had no money left to back it. And then it comes out and wins. And I just thought, well, you're an idiot. You know, you, you went and lost all the casino the night before when you you were just mucking around and you had nothing left for the good bet the next day. It was like 16 to 1. And you learn very quickly that you've just got to take it seriously. Otherwise, what's the point? And yeah. I think Brad and I, you know, I'm super competitive. I hate losing. And... It's the same on the punt, the same as sport, same as playing cards. I want to win, so I've got to do everything I can to win. What do you find the highs and lows of being um, a media form expert? Uh, I sort of ask this to anyone that works for Sky because racing Twitter is an abnormal Twitter. Everyone is a fucking genius, and you could be like, a, for example, let's say you've tipped something at 10s and you're getting tweets, you're going, fuck yeah, Joyce is the man or whatever, and then you 
tip a few like nothings or whatever and they come last and all of a sudden those people that were giving you the high fives have started ripping you a new one so how do you find that sort of stuff on twitter or anything like that yeah look first of all i don't take twitter too seriously i use twitter for news i use twitter to get my tips out there to punters who want them and I find that, first of all, I've got to say, for Twitter, I don't cop much criticism. You get the odd narc, fire something in if you have a bad day or you don't tip a winner. That happens. Um, I tend not to block them. I sort of like to think that most people are entitled to their say. I also think if you block everyone who's negative to you, you're going to come into a false sense of belief that everyone agrees with you or everyone agrees with your opinion. I think that's dangerous with social media, particularly Twitter. So I generally just let them go. It doesn't affect me. I've got a thick skin. So if someone says you've had a bad day on the tip, I won't reply to them. I won't give them any sort of fuel to the fire, but it certainly won't. It'll be water off a duck's back. It won't worry me at all. And I've got to say, I would say 90% plus of Twitter feedback I get is positive. And most of it, people will just DM you and they're generally nice people who want to thank you for a tip or ask you for a tip or just thank you for what you do. And especially since I've been up here, I've got to say all the, well, not all of it, probably 90 odd percent of it has been extremely positive with what we're sending out of Queensland and the punters up here. I know the trainers, the jockeys, they're all just super happy to have me up here and they seem to be genuinely happy at least. And that's been great. I remember asking Tommy this question about how he handles, because obviously jockeys cop it a lot more than anyone else right and he goes mate i couldn't care less if i sometimes i butcher rides sometimes i do things something wrong i shouldn't have done this or whatever but as soon as it sort of crosses the line you know when people on social can be like you know fuck i hope you get hit yeah. by a bus or i hope your dog dies or whatever he goes that's just taking yeah. the piss he goes but at the end of the day we work in punting we work in betting people are losing their money they're going to be pissed off they're allowed to have an opinion but as soon as it crosses that line yeah for sure i mean i don't think you know, I can't think of anything off the top of my head where someone's really crossed the line with me. Um, obviously, people have said, you know, terrible tips, Joycey, or whatever they're going to say. And the thing is, if I've had a really bad day on the tip, on the punt, then I'm feeling bad myself. I don't yeah. I don't need someone else to tell me. I know I've had a bad day, whether it's bad rides or I've just had a bad day, done the form wrong, got the track wrong, read the way the track had play on the day completely wrong. That happens. I mean, we're never going to get it right all the time. And I'm I'm the biggest critic of myself, so I'll come home that night and be filthy at myself, think what do I, where did I go wrong, and then I'll sit up and do videos for three or four hours to try and work out where where it all went wrong. So the last thing I really worries me is some bloke on Twitter saying, you know, you've had a bad day because I already know. I think when I when I bring up that stuff is obviously well, people know that are listening. I work for the tab on social, and we just obviously we just cop it left, right, and center from angry punters, but. I think what people don't understand, because they might say, Joyce, he's fucking, he's only tipped one from 10, or Brass has done this, or Brad's done this, or whatever. At the end of the day, your job is to put out tips, or any of these guys are to put out tips. You're not necessarily betting on every single horse that are out there, right? So at the end of the day, they might say, Joyce, he's got no idea, but you might have tipped two two out of 10, but fucking, they were the two you backed, or do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I mean, sure, I don't bet on every single race where I put a tip out, but I also think that, you, you know, we're entire, we are judged on our tips. I mean, that's what we've got to do. Um, I think the problem is you've, you've always got to have a thick skin because I know Brad Gray's the same. I'm the same. Tony Brassel's the same. You know, we're not going to go out and tip eight favourites because we want to tip four winners. Yeah. Because that's not what it's about. I think you've got to just do your form. If you're doing your form properly and you're, you're rating your own prices, or at least going close to rating your own prices, if you think a horse that's even money and you've got it rated $3.50, 
Well, yes, it's probably going to win the race, but you're not going to put it on top because there's no value in it. You, you might have something else rated $6 that's 16 to 1. Well, you're going to have to just put it on top, even though it's most likely not going to win that particular race because one in six times it will win that race and you're going to have a 16 to 1 winner. So yep. you've just got to be prepared to have those days where, yeah, I've only tipped one winner out of eight, but it paid $22. Yeah. Right? So that, that's better than saying, well, that bloke's just tipped five winners out of eight and they're all a dollar twenty. Well, who, you, you're losing money. So... You've just got to be happy to wear those sort of long runs of outs as far as your strike rate goes. But any punter who's serious, anyone who keeps serious data knows that it's all about your ROI. And if you're if you're outlaying ten thousand dollars a year and returning twenty thousand, you're doing something right. Happy if you're returning ten thousand a year and you're only getting back five thousand but tipping forty percent winners, well, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, nice. Um... People often like hearing wins and losses. I know that you've told me a story in the past. Uh, I think it was, what did you do? You got in a car with some mates, went up to Queensland. Is that a, is that a story I'm remembering? Yeah, that's a lost story. That's a lost story give, for sure. Give Dude, me a that's lost a long, story. long, long time ago. Long, long time ago. Um, but yeah, basically, so a lot of my um, a lot of my punting and sort of, not childhood, late teens, betting was done from the Gold Coast. So I used to spend so much time up here and now I'm living here, but... We um we went up to Doombin, uh that we, we must have only been eighteen or nineteen I think and whatever money we had in our pockets we took up there. There's a horse called Bucks Pride Racing. He was our favourite horse at the time. Uh, Shane Scriven used to ride him. Had a phenomenal success rate up here in Queensland, particularly at Doombin. Uh, he went up there. I think it might have been a listed race or a group race, but there was a young horse in the race had forty seven and a half, forty eight. A horse called Chief De Beers. We thought we'd knock Chief De Beers off, even though Bucks Pride had 59 kilos. And as it turned out, whatever we had we put on, it was a great race. They've hit the line lock together. The photo went for five minutes. And anyway, Chief De Beers has, Chief De Beers has got it. So um, we've hopped back in the car. It was an old bomb of a car. We've had to drive back from Boomer to the Gold Coast. Didn't have any money. Uh, the petrol gauge was on empty. So everything went on this punter, horse. Classic punter story. And then I think we've made it back. Somehow we've almost made it back. Zero petrol in the tank and um, basically had to eat what was ever in the apartment that night, drink what was ever in the fridge. And then we all waited the next morning, as you used to do back in those days, and go down to the ATM and you're only allowed to take out so much per day. So <laughs> we'd taken it all out that morning and there was nothing left that night. But see, there were plenty of those stories back in the day. So yeah, you talk about being a degenerate, I suppose that was one of them. I do remember another day we went to my Willembar races and we did the same thing, put everything we had on a horse at lost, and we did actually run out of petrol coming home. So <laughs> we had to roll the car down a hill near Cool and Gutter there, and we had blokes running down, waving traffic, like coming up a hill, we were reversing down the hill. Oh, it was an absolute mess, and we had to talk the bloke at the petrol station into giving us, you know, $4 worth of petrol or something just so we could get the car home. <laughs> Very embarrassing. Um, I'm looking up that race, so you're talking about Chief De Beers beating Bucks Pride. It's got the old sort of... Pricing. What's nine to four? Yeah, so nine to four is three dollars twenty-five. Right, um, and that's, that's in, in in the in the day, and that's pretty much what I remember. I think we got five to two or nine to four, so we're all on around that price. And I think cheap to beers was roughly the same price. Yeah. It was a it was a two horse war. It was a great race. I mean, we're on the wrong side of it, but you're never going to forget that day. And yeah, it was a it was an agonising photo to lose. And anything when you were younger, any big ones that sort of any of those where you just like put everything on it, you and your mates, did any actually salute? Um, I remember another day we had a horse called Century Kid. Uh, Graham Rogerson trained him. It might have been his first start or it was very early in his career. 
and uh, we had the mail that this horse was flying out at Randwick, and we're up at the Gold Coast. Was the first race of the day. I've come across the track, fired up, ready to have something on this horse, and I'm sure he was about twenty to one at his first start, and he's just fired out of the gate, led all the way, bolted in, and you know it was just an absolute fill up. Uh, we had a horse we owned. Uh, it raced up here on uh, New Year's Eve one year. Uh, Maddie Dunn was only sort of starting out. And he was training her, uh, ex-Sydney horse, and he was confident he had her ready to go. And she won on New Year's Eve over about a thousand up here. And we obviously had a big go at her that day as well, which made it a good New Year's Eve. So there are two from up here that I remember. Um, obviously, the, the maybe better story, when he ran third in the Melbourne Cup, uh, we got the mail that he was going into the Melbourne Cup because he was a horse that no one thought would stay. Uh, but his trainer, you know, I think it was one of the Mayfield Smiths, maybe Brian Mayfield Smith, and he said, we're going to take this horse to the Melbourne Cup. But he was 200 to 1. And most of, by the time I got the mail he was running, everyone had taken the 200s, <laughs> but they hadn't bothered to back him for a place, and he was still 50 to 1 the place. Wow. So I just loaded up the place because I'd missed the win price, and he's run third. So they're all kicking their toe into the ground because they backed him at 200, he's run third. And I was dancing around at Flemington with the 50s, the place. And uh, they've still never forgiven me. That's so good. That's good. What what did it end up coming into? You missed 200. What did it jump at? Well, I think, look, I still think he probably started at around sort of maybe 20 to 1, 16 to 1 in the Melbourne Cup. You know, like he was a real lightweight chance once he was in. And then, of course, he drew a good gate and he got the run of the race. And he didn't stay the 3,200, but he, he stayed it well enough to run third. Mate, there's some good stories. I like it when you can jag a bit, but load up on a place, which is, assume, something you don't often do. Are you more of like an on-the-nose oh. punter? Because I know that Brad is. When I've asked him, he goes, I'm strictly just on the nose. Don't do multis, don't do quarties, don't do anything. I'm on the nose. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think once they sort of hit 16, 20 to 1, um, I'm quite happy to go each way. Yeah. And sort of once you once you're sort of around that hundred to one, two hundred to one, and you're betting in futures, yeah. um, I'm more than happy to concentrate on the place then because I think, you know, if you think a horse can actually win a race at a hundreds or two hundreds, then realistically, you've got to think it can run top three. And if you are betting early in those futures markets, you generally get a quarter odd. So you know, twenty five fifty to one. Yeah. Sometimes I think you're just better to play it safe because it's still a massive result. Um, you're not going to back too many 25 or 50 to 1 winners, so why not back them to run a place? It's a lot easier than winning. That's right. It's good advice. Um, obviously, you you are confident in your own form. Is there any other form or tipsters that you respect pretty hard? doesn't have to be in Sydney if you like someone in WA or anywhere like that. Oh, look, I don't pay much attention to anyone else. I think... I think if you do, it just gets in the back of your mind. I know, like, um, look, I know Brad Gray, obviously, has discussed him a lot and I've worked with him. You know, if, if, he, if he fires a set out that I haven't done, like if he's done a set for Dubbo or somewhere that I haven't done the form for, I might have a quick look at them. Um, and obviously, when he tips on Saturdays, when I was tipping in Sydney on Saturdays, we'd often be pretty much on the same page. Not every race, but overall, we would be. And I also find that Darren Flindell, um, for whatever reason, his tips were never too far off mine in Sydney as well. And I, I remember at the time thinking it must be his Hong Kong background where speed maps are king because I certainly use speed maps now as much as I do data and form and weights and measures. So I would say that there's a lot in that that uh, you'll find certain tipsters that are aligned uh, generally must be using speed maps a lot more than others. Yeah. 
Um, what about there's quite a few people that are leaving um, Sky. Obviously, Lizzie's left and Brass has moved off to RaceNet. Lizzie's sort of doing some work now with Annabelle and looking into the future. You've moved to Queensland. So what are your thoughts, mate? Brass gone? Lizzie's gone? Yeah, I think I think COVID's just made everyone stop and reassess. Really, I think it's just been one of those times in everyone's life where it's been a total change. You've had to stop and have a think about what you want to do with your life. And, you know, when people do that, people make big decisions. And I think that's all that's been happening. And I don't think it's just been in Sky Channel. I don't think it's just been in racing. I think you'll find, and I've been reading a lot about it, um, all around the world. You know, I think it's the most upheaval in the workplace that anyone's ever seen in, in any history. So I think... Uh, it is a pattern that's happening everywhere. And I think most people you speak to at the moment, um, if they haven't done it, they've thought about it. And I think it'll continue to happen over the next year or two as people really make those big decisions about what they want to do with the rest of their life. And, you know, what? my wife and I decided we want to come and live up here and give the kids a good lifestyle and, and not have to um, spend our time driving across Sydney in traffic. And yeah. that's what we've done. And so far, we're loving it. Um did you uh like sort of did you know Brass quite well before you came to Sky? Uh, I knew Tony reasonably well. Uh, I've known Tony for a long, long time, and I definitely had a good chat to him before I came over to Sky. He was probably my sounding board before I came to Sky, which was about five or six years ago now. Uh, that was full time. I'd always done some casual stuff and part time stuff for Sky, but coming full time was was something that was a big decision at the time. And and I spoke to Tony a fair bit about it before I made that decision, and he was obviously very positive about the Sky experience. Um, but, you know, he's been here for, what was it, 25 years or yeah. something like that now. So, again, with him, you know, he's at a stage of his life where he's got to make some big decisions and probably sitting in a studio all Wednesdays, all Saturdays and doing form for four meetings yeah. twice a week. You know, it's at a, I know, I filled in for him a couple of times and it was a tough gig. Um, and if there's an option out there where he probably doesn't have to spend that much time away from his family at this stage of his life, well, he's entitled to take it for sure. Yeah. And then, look, there's some um, big shoes to fill for someone that's been there for 25 years. And who knows? Um, it's going to be a tough gig, someone that wants to be doing four venues every single Saturday. Yeah, well, David Gately's doing it, you know, and he's does such a great job. So he's there at the moment and... You know, he's doing a he's doing a stellar job. You know, and and obviously he's the sort of guy that can get across all four meetings. Now, obviously Melbourne and Sydney's his strength, but not, as far as I know, South Australia, Brisbane, he's all over that as well. I don't think I could do four states consistently and expect to come out in front. Yeah, I just don't think I'd, I'd be able to do that. You know, so good luck to Gator or whoever takes over. But yeah, it was a tough gig. All right, let's get to the business end of the stuff. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know, you and myself are pretty obsessed with poker. Um, so your story just before resonated quite well with me about having to push cars and ask for $4 or whatever for petrol. So when I was a youngster, probably about, I reckon I was 19 or 20, went down to the Aussie Millions, which is a big poker tournament uh, series around the same time as the Australian Open. I went, I qualified for a few things when Poker Stars was still allowed here. <laughs> I went down with a friend and I think we'd done our ass. When I say done our ass, we'd literally done everything. Bank account, cash on hand, everything. I think we had a hundred bucks between us left and we were like, we need to use it for petrol. We're going home tomorrow. We need to do it. And he's like, no, nah, fuck it. I'm, I'm playing cash. I'm like, no, we're not playing cash. Like, we really need to get home. Anyway, he took it there and he got it to a you know a couple of hundred. Um, and then I'm standing there watching him. For anyone who doesn't know poker, it might sound oblivious to you, but... 
I saw him playing a hand which was all of our chips and there was four spades on the deck and he had no spade and a guy put him all in, <laughs> right? And he put it where yeah. there's four spades out there. We have a pair, not a set, no nothing. We've got a pair and no spade and he's there tanking. This guy put him in for like 300 bucks and he's there looking at me. I'm like going, fuck, and I could see his cards. He put them up, I'm like, please fold. Like, I don't even care if we're right here. Anyway, he ends up calling and we win and it was like one of those ballsy things I've ever seen. So then we feel like high rollers. He got up, left the table and yeah. So I've been in the same boat before where you're literally like going for going for all. But um, what's your story? You've, uh, you, you're, you're as into poker as I am, aren't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely love it. Um, probably haven't played at the level you've played at. I mean, that was one story you gave us there, but you've played some fairly big buying tournaments and some fairly big cash games uh, throughout your yep. poker career. Um, look, I would just describe myself as a very keen amateur. Uh, I absolutely love the uh, theory behind it. It's mathematics. So it's sort of got that gambling edge to it that I like. Uh, I've read a stack of books, watched a lot of videos, love playing as much as I can when I get time. And, uh, you know, I would rate myself, I think, like I said at the start, I hate losing. So I wouldn't say I'm a losing poker player. I certainly haven't made it enough money out of it to think that I'm a genuine winner. But I'd like to think that I could sit down at most games and be competitive at the level I'm at. Uh, and obviously my big aim, one of the last bucket lists that I really want to tick off is going to Vegas and playing in the World Series. I've been to Vegas heaps of times, luckily, uh, and I've played a lot of poker over there, but never in a World Series a poker event in Vegas. Uh, I've won a couple of tiny little ones over there, um, which at the time was a lot of fun. Uh, but obviously, yeah, to, to play in a big field, um, World Series of poker, maybe not the main event, but... I think that's the know, dream, right? Just to play the main. Yeah, well, I think I'll just first of all, I just want to play one. So, you know, if you find a $1,000 buy-in with, you know, a million-dollar prize up top, that would just be a lot of fun. Uh, and then... I think if you played the main 10,000 buy-in, you'd obviously have to have a few people go in with you to, to sort of or satellites. keep the cost realistic. Um, but yeah, definitely at some stage, play the main for sure. Is there any coincidence that you've moved very close to the casino? <laughs> yeah, it's not, not a coincidence at all. I can tell you that much. Um, definitely my plan is to, to get across to the casino up here and play a bit of poker. Uh, in Sydney, I love playing at Star, but it was just, a hike to get in there and get back, particularly when I was hiking across the French's Forest for, for Sky. So I was spending a lot of time in the car anyway, and uh, going to start to play poker just didn't seem appealing at the time. Um, so here, it's I'd be three to four minutes. So I'd be at the casino. So definitely, um, once hopefully COVID calms down and it's not get everywhere there. you walk out the door. Um, yeah, if things settle down, I'll be able to spend a bit more time over there. But just for the time being, while I'm settling in and and getting underway with all this Queensland form. I haven't ventured across yet, but at some stage I certainly will. With you saying that you hate losing and you get angry and whatever, I can vouch for this. So for anyone listening, we are... You and I played a teams event at the Star, at the casino, and I think we went relatively deep. I think we got out about half past ten or something. I think you went all, all in with nines and maybe lost. Uh, about an hour and a half, maybe two hours later, I'd been home for quite a while. I get a message from you just writing, I'm still pissed off. <laughs> You're staring at the yeah. ceiling, staring at the ceiling. I'm still yeah. pissed off. Yeah, at that myself, because yeah, it was a team's event and uh, we had gone deep and we were in a position we could have made a real good run of it. And, you know, look, 
at the time at the time it was the right decision. And even looking back on it now, I can still remember the hand. You always remember important hands. Nice. So yeah, I had pocket pocket nines in fairly early position and uh, moved all in with a bloke could already raised in front of me. So he was very loose and I thought he could have gone in with just about any two cards. So I went over the top of him expecting him to fold. Uh, but it went around to the big blind and he reluctantly went all in with Ace King. So he wasn't even super confident, which was crazy. Yeah. He should have just gone all in straight away. But he reluctantly went all in with Ace King. And obviously, I think a king came on the flop or something and, and trumped our nines, you know. But um, the loose guy dropped out, obviously. Um, so it was just one of those things. I think looking back on it, it was probably the right decision. I think I'd do it again. And now that I know the game a lot better, that was probably 18 months ago, I know the game a lot better now than I did back then. And I would say if you ran it through a solver, it would almost be 100% go all in with those nines. I remember, I think you doubled up really early with kings versus aces. You rivered a king. How lucky was that? Yeah, yeah. but that's, that's, that's the same sort of thing. It was early on in the tournament. I think yeah. it was maybe the first or second level. I've got dealt kings. The bloke on my right, he was a French guy, I think he was, and he was playing a lot of hand. And so I've raised, he's raised me. I've gone all in. He's called and flipped over his aces, and Fuck. I've just shaken my head and thought, well, that's it. That's the end of the tournament. And then we've got down to the river, and the kings come. Um, so that was a, you know, that was a one in five chance that we got out of jail there. We got out, but um, oh, it's a fun game. You just love it, don't you? It's a great game. I think the odds are a lot worse actually coming down to the river with two cards. But I was well, exactly even... no, exactly. Oh, by the absolute river, we're only a, we're one in twenty. Chance. Yeah. Yeah, four percent chance to win. Yeah, um, but yeah, originally when I, when he first turned him over, I'm, I'm thinking in my head, all right, we're a one in five here, we're a one in five. <laughs> we can do this. Um, but then by the time we got the river, I'd given up. I didn't. Have, we're running one in twenty five by the river, but we got there. We got there. We'll have to do it again too because I want to come up. Um, you're living relatively very close to the casino. I see that they're doing quite a lot of like tournaments there and stuff too, and quite cheap buy-ins too, a couple hundred dollar ones and stuff there too. So that'll be yeah. A- there's some good. There's some good tournaments and some good series coming up over here. Um, so, yeah, it's really just a matter now of whatever you want, however you want to handle the COVID situation. I know yeah. so many people have got it, and I'm, I'm triple vaxxed, if you want to call it that. So <laughs> yeah. if I do get it, I'm hopefully I have very minor symptoms and can bounce back quickly like most people I know are. Um, but I'm still not going to run out and lick a pole or a poker chip to try and get it. Um, I'll just take my chances and, and see what happens. Um, all right, we'll, we'll wrap it up. So we've got uh, Magic Millions this weekend. Um, what do you think of Cool and Gutter? Look, I think she's clearly the horse to beat. I don't think she was at her best last start, and that probably put some sort of sense of vulnerability around her, but I would expect she's going to bounce off that. And everything else I've seen of her is absolute class, absolute top rate. I think she wins. Uh, as for Tommy Berry's riding, soaring ambition, You know, I think she's probably going to run top three if she draws a good gate. And if Cool and Gatter happens to have an off day, she could win it. Uh, so it's a nice ride to have. And in the three-year-old race, I know he's riding Jamea, and she missed the first up run up here yeah, on a really scratched. heavy track, um, heavy ten by the time she was going to race. But she had a trial on the Tuesday after that, and she flew in the trial. And just looking at the field at the moment, um, I think she's probably the best horse in the race or close to it. So if she can draw a gate, it'll be a good training performance to get her to win it first up. But yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad Tommy's on her. I wouldn't want to switch her for anything else. It's one of you. What did Jamea win? Didn't it win like a Group Two or something beginning of the year? Percy Sykes yeah, or something. Was, 
she was unlucky. She, she won a couple of big ones last prep. She Fierce? was unlucky as well. She was unlucky as well in a couple. Yeah, I just can't remember the order of them now, but there was that really messy race where um there was where Brenton had his fall. Um, she got locked up on the fence that day, and then she came out and she won the big one after that. So I just can't remember. Oh, it looks like what they at, were. So he won the Percy yeah. Sykes, and yep. then fourth in the Silver Shadow, and then yeah, then won the Furious then won as the well. Furious. Yeah. So the Silver Shadow was the was the messy one, and yeah. then she came out and won the Furious. Yeah. I think it's a pretty good chance. Tommy's is Tommy <clears> confident? <throat> likes that horse? Oh yeah, he's got a good relationship with her in the stable, and yeah, he. He'd be very happy with her for sure. I'd love Cool and Gatta to come out and just brain them too. I jumped on early for the slipper, like just before it's like big win. I think I'm on at 18s and six. I went eight, like obviously followed you, mate, did each way. Got 18 bucks to win and six yeah. to place. So that'd be nice for the well, slipper. No, yeah, no, you're, you're laughing with that bet. And yeah, I, as I said, I think she'll come out and win it. And then she'll be the right, or she'll continue to be raging favourite for the slipper. And so far, definitely haven't turned anything in her league. So you're looking good. All right, mate. So, you're, what's the story, Queensland wise? So, you're the provincial circuit working with Kian. She's new to the team. Yeah, that's the plan. But I'll also be. I'm doing Doomben this Saturday. I've got some Saturday shifts coming up. Obviously, Maxi, Bernie, and uh, Nathan X will be. They can't do everything. Yeah, uh, they have been. No, they've been doing a great <laughs> job. Have, but yeah. obviously, you know, Kian and I are up here to, to sort of relieve them a touch and and uh, make things a little bit more realistic as far as the work schedule goes. So, yeah, we'll just um, fill a lot of those holes and. I'll get to travel around a bit of Queensland, but also get a bit of the Metro stuff. So, no, loving it at the moment. Can't wait to do Doombin on Saturday. Can't wait to enjoy Magic Millions Day. And, uh, yeah, onwards and upwards, mate. Looking forward to it all. All right, mate. Thanks for joining me uh, again on the show. Have to get you again on uh, sometime throughout the year. And hopefully you tip well. And let's play some cards soon. Absolute pleasure, mate. Let me know when you're coming up, and uh, we'll try and find one of those teams events. Sweet, Joycey. All right. Thanks, mate.